Ugh, this bus is stuck in traffic again. I hope I don't miss my appointment with Haida and Kira. Electric cars, hydrogen batteries, solar propulsion. I know some key developments are moving us towards greener mobility, but when I look around, I can't help but wonder how mobility will look in 5, 10, even 15 years. Hey Ben, Hyder and I are waiting for you. Where are you? Nearly there, but stuck in a traffic jam. I'll be there soon, I promise. Hi, I'm Ben Brown. And I'm Kira Doyle. We're filmmakers and co-founders of Going Green Media, a planet-first, solution-oriented media brand filming and sharing green projects around the world that inspire action. Today, we'll be speaking with Haider Altai, a patent examiner in the field of electromobility at the European Patent Office. He's going to give us a deeper look into the future of green mobility and discuss how some of the latest inventions he sees in his work will help change the world. So sit back, relax, and let us drive you into the future. The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. So let's jump right into this. Welcome, Ida. Hello, thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you here. So you've worked at the European Patent Office for the last eight years. And in that time, I'm sure you've seen lots of changes, not only in technology, but more specifically in the green mobility sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the transformations you've seen in your field in the last eight years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'd like to take it a little bit further back, and that would be something like more than 100 years ago. A lot of people don't know, a lot of members of the public don't know, actually, that electric vehicles were actually before the combustion engine vehicles. And that, that was something back in the day. It was actually the electronic starter motor that really caused the, unfortunately, the electric, the electric vehicles to, to die out and, and combustion engines to, to really take off. Um, and it's only been until recently where the electric vehicles have been sort of come back. So history has kind of repeated itself. So so come back, and now we've had individuals pushing electric vehicles in general. And I think it was definitely necessary because I remember when I was at university in 2008, 2009, a friend of mine had a Toyota Prius, um, and that was one of the first ones in the market that was was out there that you could buy. And it it was great to see it. And he was sort of scooting along really quietly in his electric vehicle. So that was really interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. I think from an accessibility standpoint, at least in terms of cost, like 10 years ago, it was either uh, lower end or even like more affordable. And then it kind of became this luxury thing. Whereas nowadays, I feel like we're seeing more and more median brands kind of coming out with electric vehicles to make it accessible to everyone, which I think is great. Yeah. And the public perception is definitely changing. Like, as you said, with the Toyota Prius, like that was not a quote unquote sexy car. And um, But now with brands like Tesla and BMW and Audi coming out with the latest ranges, it's it's really becoming something that is desirable. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it's actually quite a very exciting time because it is a, like a transformation. What I've seen in the last eight years uh, as a patent examiner, things have changed a lot. I mean, there are some challenges which, which uh, we will get into, um, but it's, it is quite exciting. And there's a lot of uh, public transport that is now being changed. And we're almost like, you know, asking us, asking the same question again. We're reinventing the way we do transportation, personal, and also maybe so cargo transportation and, and so on. So it is, it is a very exciting time to be, to be alive, I would say. Definitely. Yeah. Green public transport, I think, is something that, um, especially if you live in an urban area in Europe in particular, 
green public transport is on the rise. And one thing that I learned actually the other day that I found super interesting is that since we live in London, 56% of London's bus fleet does not rely on fossil fuels. So they're either um, electric, like powered by a battery, or they are hybrid, or I think even hydrogen fuel cell, which I think is incredible. And I'm sure there's so many other cities across the continent as well that are doing the same thing. So yeah, like you said, it really is the future. What do you feel like some of the key things are happening to allow for that public transport to become more green? Do you, do you find like there's a lot more regulations coming in? Yeah, indeed. Uh, there, there are a lot of regulations that are coming into force, a lot of policies, a lot of green policies by different governments, by the European Commission, by the EU, and also in the UK. And I think that's really pushing the fact that we need electric vehicles to you know, mitigate climate change. It is an issue and we need to we need to slow that down significantly because we need to take responsibility at some point. And I think the time is now. And it's all these regulations coming into force. And to be honest, if we can at least get the pollution out of the city, it'll also have significant health benefits for all of us. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many benefits actually to transitioning to green mobility, whether that's in public transportation or even in personal vehicles. One thing I just want to touch on briefly is micromobility or also known as like shared mobility options like e-bikes and e-scooters that are popping up around cities. And car shares as well. Car shares as well, exactly. So what do you think about that? Have you seen that transformation over the last few years, at least in your line of work? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it a lot, especially I would say in the last maybe five years. I've seen really this, you know, these e-scooters, the personal uh, electric bikes. I think it really took off during the pandemic. I still think there are some some challenges because there are a lot of them around. But indeed, I mean, going going green is is definitely the way forward, and this is just part of the transformation. It might not be the final solution, but it is part of the the process. And uh, I I myself use sometimes these uh, these e-scooters to get around the city if I want to get somewhere quickly. Uh, rather than taking public transport or a combination of, uh, of the two. Mm-hmm. Right, definitely. Yeah. Green mobility has come a long way in a short time and will continue to do so. But will infrastructure, accessibility, and our own mindsets or cultural norms become a roadblock? So let's touch on some of those challenges that you were mentioning, because there are plenty of benefits. But I think at least in terms of public perception and often some roadblocks maybe that governments run into when trying to implement these things from either a cost perspective or like kind of a cultural mindset one. What do you think some of the biggest challenges are presently or have been maybe even in the past um, and as well as going forward? Oh, wow. Okay, that's quite that's quite a, a challenge to to answer. I mean, I don't know where to begin. There are quite a lot of, a lot of things. I mean, the governments in, in, in the European Union are, of course, pushing that we go that we go green. And I think it's also the right way forward with implementations of you know, banning the, the sale of combustion engine vehicles from 2025, 2030, 2035, depending on the countries. There are significant challenges, of course, and I think uh, car makers are, are motivated by these government regulations and also to mitigate climate change and also to play their part. And I think this is where we all have to play our part and take responsibility so that we secure, you know, a, a sustainable world for, you know, the generations to come. And, uh, and of course, we hope the, the generations to come do the same thing for their generations. Um, but there are indeed significant challenges still upcoming with respect to infrastructure and, and costs, I would say. And planning as well. I think when it comes to public infrastructure, 
is one of the biggest things. Lots of cities around the world were made solely for fuel or petrol cars and having to kind of accommodate for that green transition with charging stations and maybe more public transportation routes or cycle lanes. That I think is a big hurdle to many governments in trying to create, yeah, this more sustainable future. They have to kind of rework their cities that were maybe initially designed for just cars. What would you say some of the environmental challenges are, for example, in sustainable battery production or battery recycling? I would say the biggest cost of an electric vehicle and the biggest thing to consider is that we have a lot of raw materials, particularly lithium in electric batteries. And the question is, I mean, we all know it from our mobile phones after a couple of years, the, the state of health of the battery is not as it used to be doesn't last a full day anymore. This is the same thing with electric uh, vehicle batteries. It's on a different scale, of course, it's significantly bigger, but we need to consider, right, where do the sources of these raw materials come from? How are they sourced? And at the same time, what do we do when we've finished using them? The recycling, how do we take it from there? But of course, there is also, where does the electricity come from? Is it from renew renewable sources or is it from fossil fuel sources as well? But at the end of the day, the, one of the main things is that we get pollution out of the inner cities to also improve our health. Absolutely. And we're firm believers, and I'm sure you are as well, that something can't truly be green or sustainable unless it takes into account every individual and system that's impacted in the process. So like you said, from the very beginnings where they're um, mining for these resources to create lithium batteries and things like that, all the way down to what these, um, let's say, electric buses or trains are powered by, that's all really important to take into consideration and may sound quite daunting, but I think there are more and more companies and um, at least individual projects or organizations that are working on these things actively, which is great. Um, in your work, have you seen anything like that uh, recently kind of come across your desk, like more and more people looking to help with that, either disposing of batteries or more sustainable sourcing of the materials? Actually not. To be honest, and that's maybe something to realize that sustainability is something that we also need to consider in development of innovative uh, solutions of our problems. We need to consider sustainability. There are some patents I need to, of course, I can't reveal too much because I see I see a lot of things that are not published yet. But in, indeed, uh, the, there are a lot of things coming that way. It's honestly more about you know increasing the range, also increasing the speed at which you can charge your vehicles that is currently being tackled. Cities do have to improve their infrastructure, but I think one of the, the challenges is the, the number of charging stations is quite limited. However, I think if electric vehicle manufacturers are able to overcome the challenge of being able to charge a battery within five minutes, like the public, are, they, they go to the gas station, within five minutes, they're, they're up and running and they can go again. And I think if we can get it down to around five to 10 minutes maximum, we won't need so much pressure on the infrastructure in cities. And we can just have these stations just like the gas stations we had before. Definitely. And I think that's kind of um, decreasing that charge time, like you said, two, five minutes, if that's possible in the near future would be incredible because that's, there's almost a sense of decision anxiety, I think, that a lot of consumers have is in purchasing or if it's time to purchase a new car, they think, okay, well, with an EV, I might need to, you know, yeah, and let me factor in more time in my trip. So I have to do this or get a charging station at home. And I think creating these resources that are available to the public and not just available in certain places, but available all over is a, a big aspect of, I think, pushing individual mindsets and, and decision-making toward green mobility, for sure. Absolutely agree. I mean, uh, there's decision anxiety, just buying a electric vehicle in the first place. 
But there's a, an interesting phenomenon that, that's called uh, range anxiety. Is that you, can you actually make it to your destination? But I think if we, if we are able to charge up our electric vehicle within five minutes, I think that, will, that effect and phenomenon will go away. Yeah, we completely agree. And we've actually experienced that range anxiety ourselves before. So much has happened since electric cars hit the streets, but now the tech is moving fast. At this speed, will the newest cars seem like antiques in just a few months? And which trends are setting the pace? We were talking a bit earlier about how technology is moving incredibly fast. Based on what you've seen in your work, which green mobility trends do you think are setting this pace for the future? You know, showing these positives and lawmakers maybe are looking at the negatives, but seeing more positive outcomes. I think a lot of the things that I've seen are related to, of course, you know, green, green production of these electric vehicles contributing to a greener future. Then again, also hydrogen vehicles and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Effectively, it's a it's an electric vehicle with a, a small hydrogen storage tank that converts hydrogen into electricity, and then you can run your electric vehicle like that. I think that is the future. We have a nice study that we released uh, last year at the Euro- European Patent Office, and that really highlighted that going using hydrogen technology in combination with electric vehicles, uh, with the motivation of going green and securing a sustainable future for everyone is the way forward. What are your thoughts on autonomous driving? That's an interesting one. I think it's exciting because it really tests technology, but we have to be, uh, I'd say, a little bit careful with it because when, when I get into my car, I'm fully responsible for it. The actions, if I cause an accident, I'm responsible for it. When the vehicle is more autonomous and driving itself, the question comes, right, who is responsible? Am I responsible because I got into the car, bought the car, got into the car, started driving the car, and then let the system take over? Or is the, maybe the programmer responsible who programmed the software? And, and that's a difficult one. I mean, personally, I like to drive my car, but autonomous vehicles, I mean, I, I know that, for example, Stansted Airport, you have in between the two terminals, you have this autonomous vehicle that drives you from uh, one terminal to the other. But I think autonomous is more rather than moving from, you know, that it's on rails, that it's actually a vehicle that can go anywhere. And of course, I've seen it in the US, they're having a few vehicles that are already, there are different levels, they go up to level four on autonomy and how autonomous the vehicle is allowed to be. But I've recently drove, I drove one autonomous vehicle, you did have to touch the steering wheel every 10 seconds or so to, to show that you are still awake, I would say. Are still in control, or maybe you know nothing has happened to you, and and I think that uh, that's maybe the way it should be. However, we are going to more high levels of of aut- autonomous driving, and is it the way forward? I don't know. I think it's very exciting to consider it as an option for the way forward. But then again, I personally like driving my car when I get into it. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, we agree, and we agree that it makes more sense when it's on rails or on tracks. And speaking about advancements in that kind of area. What are your thoughts kind of on the new high-speed trains, such as the possibility of a Hyperloop train as well? Yeah, the Hyperloop train and the high-speed trains are interesting. I find them very interesting. When I was in Japan, I went on a high-speed train and it's quite amazing what is possible and how stable it is. So there are significant challenges. I think it's the way forward, but there's a lot of safety that needs to be considered because if something does go wrong, it can really go wrong, but it's about moving a lot of people very quickly from A to B. And I think that will help in trying to get us away from having personal transport. And I think that's also an option that we need to provide and governments need to provide, for example, the high-speed HS2 in the UK in order to provide the, you know, the influx of people 
to London and, and back home. And I think uh, one thing, specifically in London that we've seen is there's kind of this boost in intermodal travel. So by that, I mean, maybe someone takes a train and then they take a bus or they take a bus and then they take a bike or an e-scooter. And I think that kind of goes back to that mentality of like collective mobility, saying like, this is not just my individual thing. And even though that's not maybe necessarily technology, it is using technology, I think, to shift individual habits. And I think that's super important. One other thing I just wanted to touch on quickly was magnet charging of buses. Um, Are you familiar with this? I think this has been happening across Australia, China, and in some places in Europe as well. I believe Austria has kind of taken this on is where a bus kind of pulls under a bus station or a bus stop and it has a magnet on top and it briefly charges, even if it's just for 30 seconds or a minute, and it kind of gives it a quick jolt of charge. Have you seen anything like that in your work? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a whole other spectrum of of the the work that I've seen. And it's basically, there, there are two types of charging. There is wired charging where you have to go and plug it in like the old phones. That we, that we have, and I, I can still plug in my phone. However, there is also wireless charging where you can, for the ease of you know, the, the driver and just for comfort, really, to just to drive up to a charging station and it would automatically start charging. Because something we can't forget is that wired charging, these cables are quite big and heavy because we, we want to charge quickly, like we discussed before with the infrastructure. In order to do that, you need to have very big cables so they don't get hot. Uh, which is a whole other issue to to challenge. And this can be quite difficult for some individuals to, to be able to handle such a big cable. So going wirelessly just makes it more comfortable. But there is, of course, wired charging. When you go and plug it in, is of course, more efficient and quicker than wireless charging. So it is a, a bit of a, a balancing game. What are you willing to, to sacrifice and what are you willing to live with? That's the thing. It's probably going to be a a mix of both. But I think that's the beauty of this technology accelerating at the speed that it is, is there is going to be options for everyone, basically. With you working at the European Patent Office, I'm sure you've seen some very quirky and interesting projects come across your desk. So is there anything that you can possibly share with us that's maybe not in the works right now and is something that's in the past? Yes. I mean, um, there are some interesting applications uh, and patent requests that we get. I like to take them personally because I find them the most fun to deal with. Some of them are great ideas, but to put them into practice and to scale them to be able to, you know, sell them in the market is, is something else. For example, you're driving down the highway and you you have some range anxiety and you make a, a request in the car and this drone comes, lands on top of your car and decides to charge up your car while you're while you're still driving so you don't have to stop. I love those type of applications. And there was another step further where there was a proposal of trying to charge when you're driving underneath a, a bridge that as you pass by, that you get a, a, a small jolt of, of energy, almost like a bit of lightning, which of course there are some questions about safety and so on. You know, it can be quite dangerous. It's, it's, I mean, it's very high voltage kind of lightning bolt that can hit your car, which needs to be controlled. Of course, the most important is our personal safety and the safety around of our colleagues around us and friends. There are some interesting things that come up and that's what makes the, the job so fun. And uh, I really enjoy the work that I do. I bet. That sounds so interesting to be able to kind of see innovation before the world knows about it. So yeah, I think that's definitely an incredible part of your job. Okay, so we just wanted to briefly talk about what are some of the things that you think uh, we can collectively do to maybe transform how our communities look at mobility? I know we've touched on this briefly, but in addition to rethinking like lifestyle and behavior, 
what are some of the other things that we that you think are necessary for this transformation within the near future, not just within the next decade? I think we all need to question how we do transport and how we can contribute sustainability. And I think uh, that's where um, I'm also a big fan of you too, because you are really raising awareness of sustainability, how important it is and how how important it is for not only us today, but for the generations to come tomorrow. And I think we just need more people like you two to to raise awareness on sustainability and going green. But I think we just need to ask ourselves the questions. And we 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 got used to living in a world where everybody had their own car. And I think now we can ask ourselves again the question and try almost use this opportunity to reinvent ourselves. And with those micro mobility options that you were saying, kind of in between the trains and the cars, particularly the e-bikes and the e-scooters, we definitely feel one of the obstacles we have to overcome as a society as, uh, in general is that we need to respect them like our own property. We found, especially in London, people are just throwing them onto the streets, making it really difficult, for, especially people um, with disability trying to get past. So as a society, I, I feel like if we can treat these e-bikes and e-scooters and car shares as our own property, this technology will and take us to where we need to go with green mobility. Completely agree with you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Ben said, I think there's kind of a certain level of respect. Like, for example, I think in the Netherlands, there's always been a cycling culture there. And we've done several cycle trips through there. And we always find that there's the respect among even drivers to cyclists or drivers to people on scooters. You know, they see them, they give them the right of way. I think it's that kind of respect for each other saying, okay, I see what you're doing. And I will allow you to go. You know, it's not like, oh, I have somewhere to be. So let me just get around this person. I completely agree. I mean, I, I've been living in the Netherlands now for uh, the last seven and a half, eight years. There, there wasn't this culture of, of using your bicycles. Um, uh, in some cities, yes. Um, but in the Netherlands, it's quite pronounced. And also this infrastructure is there for it. Just to kind of wrap this up, I think one great notion that our listeners can take away from all of this is how that innovation plays a key role in developing these green mobility solutions. But also, I think that individuals like we've talked about can really push their leaders to implement these advancements by maybe rethinking their lifestyle and their behavior, like we've said, with micromobility, intermodal, and just in their purchasing power. Because in in return, there's a lot to win, isn't there? Yes, completely agree with you there. I mean, of course, there's two sides to every coin. You have, of course, innovation and technology playing their part. But us as individuals using this technology should also play our part in the way we do our general transport. And it's really about rather having this mindset of, this is my car, just thinking about, right, I need to get from A to B. Can I take a public, you know, take bus or take tram, take public transport, or can I maybe rent a vehicle and not really own a vehicle myself? And I think we're in the middle of that transition and it, it might be the, the way forward. Thank you so much, Ida, for joining us on this podcast. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure to learn more about what you do at the European Patent Office and the future of green mobility in general. Thank you. Yeah, it seems really bright. Thank you so much for your insight. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation at epo.org or on your favourite podcast platform. Let's Talk Innovation.